When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming up on the Rami LaVie podcast, the Jets have played two preseason games. They have one episode of One Jets Drive come out and had another episode of Hard Knocks come out. And I'm still as high on them as I've ever been. I'll talk about that, break down the whole episode. Also, there was a big media broadcasting news story last week. And I have some inside scoop on it. I'll share that with you. That and a whole lot more coming up next on the Rami LaVie podcast. It starts right now. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. One of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot is the stigma against mental health. I think, unfortunately, there has been a stigma, but we're slowly breaking it. And if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, or maybe you just want to talk to someone, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help access your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Plus, you can exchange unlimited text messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. So I talk about on this podcast how your mindset towards things changes everything. One of the things that I learned in therapy was that join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Rami. That's my first name. That's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash R-A-M-I, my first name, Rami. If you use that link, the link is in the description in the podcast notes. If you use that link, you'll get 10% off and it'll also help me out. So please do that. I'm telling you it's worth it. Do it today. Welcome back to the Rami La Vie podcast, episode 160. Since we last spoke, a lot happened in the world of sports, as it always does. Um, and I can't wait till I'm back on this three times a week. I keep saying that, but I really can't wait till football's fully back. Uh, baseball is really dwindling. I think the nail in the coffin was put in the Yankees today and their loss to the Marlins as I record this. It's late Sunday night. Now, early Monday morning already, um, I've been having the best time just working for the fan and working uh, in New York City with Keith last week on his show, working with Tommy, producing the Yankee games. This week, I'll be back there a couple of nights, uh, three days this week, actually, a bunch of days at MLB this week. It's just been awesome, um, and I'm busy, 
and I'm working on the new podcast, which is going to be really fun, a fully just full-fledged Jets podcast uh, that's launching at some point either this week or next week. We just have to figure out the cover art and uploading in all the details of it. But it's so cool to have a team that I'm working with and just want to shout out to the people I believe uh, because they've been awesome. They've been helping me so much. Um, and once that's up, I can really focus on, you know, doing more of the actual football content on this podcast and some more Jets pot content on that podcast. Uh, but it's awesome. It's been awesome. I'm so excited. I can't wait. And for this podcast and the sake of this podcast, what I want to talk about today is a couple of things. I want to talk about some sports media stories because there were two big ones from last week. If you live under a rock, you don't know what they are. You'll find out. Otherwise, I'm sure you do know what they are. Now, one of them is a little bit related to baseball, which you've heard me say many times. I can't talk about on this podcast. Now, the reason I don't talk baseball on this podcast is because I'm an employee of Major League Baseball, but I am not part of their content. I work. I highlight games. That's my job there. And so because I'm not hired for content, they don't want people who weren't hired to represent them to represent them in media and to put out content when they were hired by MLB and I'm an MLB employee. I technically represent major league baseball, but I wasn't hired to represent major league baseball. I was hired to be behind the scenes. That's really the story. That's, that's uh, how I can best explain why I'm not allowed to talk about baseball on the podcast. Uh, but this story I will say is a media story. It's a story about Masson. It's a story about ownership. It's a story about broadcasting and my career. And I was at, I was in the WFAN studio when this story broke and I was kind of there talking to a lot of the people there and that was interesting. So I just want to come at it from that perspective. I also spoke to John and Susan about it later on the game and Justin Shackle, who hosts the post game, who I worked with last week. So there were a lot of interesting layers to in the moment when it broke. I spoke to uh, Zach Gelb, who hosts an evening show. I also have a special connection because I have a perspective from Baltimore sports coming from there, knowing what it was like. We had the Orioles rights for a year in 2021 when I first worked at the fan in Baltimore. And then the following year, we didn't have them for a very simple reason. And we'll get into all that. So I think there's perspective there. And I did my homework. I went the next day and I listened to the fan in Baltimore. I went back and listened to the people who I know, the people who some of them I respect, some of them I appreciate, some of them I know that they're very talented. Whereas others, I was kind of disappointed. I knew that there are people there, a lot of people there who both either work for the Orioles directly or they feel like they need to have a good relationship with the Orioles. Some of them work for Masson directly. Some of them felt like they need to have a good relationship with Masson. So all those things we'll get into. But before we get into any of that, let's talk about what we saw on Tuesday night last week, a week ago, HBO, Hard Knocks, the first episode of the documentary series that this year is following around the New York Jets, my New York football Jets and their training camp and what is happening with them right now. We've only seen one episode. It was awesome. Whatever anyone else tells you, it was great. They didn't show the behind the scenes. They didn't show the drama of trying to find Aaron Rodgers. They didn't show any of the Quinn Williams contract stuff. There was a lot that they didn't show. That's true. There was a lot that they didn't show. But I think... They still showed a lot of cool behind-the-scenes stuff that if you're a Jet fan, I mean, it was almost Jet fan porn. 
It was so enjoyable. It was so much fun to watch. It was so cool. So I do want to get into all of that as well. So we will get into that. We will get into Hard Knocks. And let's start. I'll break it down from the top. The first thing I noticed when I watched the whole episode, and I watched it three times. The first time I watched it was on the train ride home on the New Jersey Transit, which is a crazy story. So I decided I'm going to take the train home because I had a ride into the city. And why deal with parking? Why have to pay for it? Just take a train. What's the big deal? So I took the subway from Midtown, or I took the subway to Midtown to catch a train, the New Jersey Transit to Secaucus, and then from Secaucus to where I live, which is in Rockland County. Um, it's another train. So basically a subway to a train to a third train. And when I got off at Secaucus, I timed it out perfectly. So when I got off at Secaucus, I had like four minutes to get to the next train. And I get to the platform and I realize I'm on the wrong side of the platform. And I see the train pull up on the other side. And I see people getting on. And I'm like, oh, shoot. That moment when you realize you got to run to the other platform, but you're not sure you're going to the right place. So I quickly dashed up the stairs. I don't know how I got up the stairs so quickly. Ran across the platform on like the main floor. Ran down another set of stairs and just dashed onto the first train I saw because I assumed it was the right one. Luckily, I noticed one of the people getting on the train. And as I got onto the train, I saw him sitting there. Just barely made it on the train. I'm catching my breath. I'm breathing heavy. And I sit down and I just start the episode. So that's how I started watching. I watched it then. I listened to it on my drive-in the next day, and I watched it another time. So uh, yeah, I've watched it a few times already. So like I said, the first thing I noticed was it was so positive. The whole thing was overall positive. And maybe it's because the Jets are kind of safeguarding some of the stuff that they can put on it that HBO has access to and they're deciding have final say on what goes on and what doesn't get shown so maybe that's why it's overly positive it feels a little bit more like a puff piece I guess kind of the way one jets drive feels but no I think they took a really positive approach for episode one there was not much negative to talk about there are negative things that's not to say there probably are negative things in jets camp I'm not delusional But everything was so positive. Everything, the vibes feel so great. They feel immaculate. So right away, it starts with Robert Sala and his speech to the team. First is that little intro with Joe Namath. And the Jets are the greatest team of the century. The New York Jets, like an old Jets that they won the Super Bowl 52 years ago. Then there's that little Rodgers montage with Colin Cowherd, Craig Carton talking about I don't I won't believe Rodgers is here until he's actually here. And then he shows up, he gets traded. He says that that truck. That Super Bowl Lombardi trophy looks a little lonely. And then it gets into the actual episode. And I wanted to play it because I think it's really interesting. So here is Robert Sala's first intro to Hard Knocks. Your intro to Robert Sala. If you're America, you're not a New York Jets fan. You don't watch every press conference. This is your introduction to the New York Jets head coach on Hard Knocks, Robert Sala. I love how they perfectly bring in the Hard Knocks music at the end. Here it is. All right, you can take your pens out on this one. This is a life lesson for everybody, for everybody. Three nights ago, three nights ago, I was in deep thought, deep thought, deep thought. And I was thinking about you guys. I was thinking about you guys. I was thinking about all the excitement surrounding us, man. All of it, all of it. Did you know that the only bird, the only bird in the world that will attack an eagle is a crow? It's a crow. That's the only bird that will actually have the balls to attack an eagle. It will perch on the eagle's back and peck at its neck. So rather than fight back, 
and tearing a crow to pieces like it can, the eagle spreads its wings and it soars as high as it possibly can. It keeps going and going and going as high as it can. And the higher the eagle flies, the harder it is for the crow to breathe. Eventually, the crow suffocates, falls back down to earth, and dies. That's what happens. Guys, we got a great deal of hype around us. We do. All kinds of expectations. And with great expectations, we know that there's going to be a whole lot of people, a whole lot of crows expecting us to fall on our face. What are you doing to find that little bit more to get us closer to being a great fucking team? You finish practice, now what? You finish meetings, now what? Lifting, now what? A rep, now what? And if we come together and we challenge ourselves to do a little bit more every day, the crows, they'll fall by themselves. Embrace what we're capable of. Embrace the fact that we aren't the same old Jets. Embrace the fact that we do have a target on our back. Embrace the fact that when teams look at our schedule, they're not chalking us up for a W. They're coming at you. That's exactly where we want to be. And that's fucking awesome. Yeah, so that cuts off a little prematurely, but he has you ready to run through a wall. He is a motivating king. So he's not Rex. No. Rex was more smooth. Salah's almost too polished. Like this thing that he didn't think of, right? This was a story that he saw in some motivational speech on Instagram or something, right? And I saw people making fun of that. And I saw people saying... Wow, you got 30 seconds into the episode and you're already referencing the same old Jets? You got to get rid of that poverty mindset. But no, he's telling you, we have an expectation. Listen to what he's saying. There's a target on our back. So instead of feeling like we already made it, he said this in a press conference, in a later press conference, there's all this expectation, all this hype around us. We won seven games last year. We were a fucking mess at the end of the team. We folded. And all these other teams that are putting these expectations and targets on us, fans, media, teams, that's not us. So what are we going to do to match that? We're going to go do one step harder. We're going to go do one thing and then another thing. Jeff Oldrick, the defensive coordinator who I love, you fell in love with him in this episode, said something great. He said, hey, if each of us find one thing that we do, that's one more thing. We push ourselves one path beyond our limit. One extra rep, one extra practice, one extra whatever it is. You push yourself by one past your limit. Then there's 22 of us on the field. It's kind of corny also, but these guys really mean it. And the guys buy into it. The guys love him. It's different. I know. And people are saying, oh, look, he's just this coach. He's not X's and O's. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just a motivator. He loves his guys. Aaron Rodgers is running the show there. You could tell by the episode. It's the Rodgers show, and Salah's just along for the ride. Look at him marveling at Rodgers' throws. The head coach shouldn't be marveling at the throws like that. Look, a lot of the pressure is going to be alleviated from Robert Salah because of Aaron Rodgers. All the issues that I thought about last year, that I talked about last year, end of halves, calling timeouts in the wrong spots, all the offensive issues... Yeah, they go by the wayside because you have Aaron Rodgers and Nathaniel Hackett who have worked together so well and they're running the show together. Why is that a negative thing? Robert Sala can be the CEO. He can be the guy who's a little bit more hands-off. You see how well Jeff Uldrich runs the defense. You see how well Hackett and Rodgers run the offense. They really care about every little detail. 
Salah can be a little bit hands-off, can just watch, motivate the guys, be there to push them further. He's doing the push-ups on the field before anyone else and after anyone else. He's running the stairs. He's leading by example. And if he happens to say a bunch of corny things that get the guys going, that get them fired up, that make you want to run for a wall and work hard for him, like I feel right now after listening to that, is that the worst thing? And by the way, I wish I left that music in I mean the the hard knocks music goes so hard so it goes into the hard knocks music and then it starts with Rodgers because that's the biggest story and that first time that you just see him on their center going like I watched that 10 times I just kept rewinding those few seconds this is what I talked about the first time I hear him do that now of course it's different in game no games have been played yet. We'll get to that in a second. But that's how it all started. It starts with Rodgers. He's here. It changes everything. And that's why that montage was so perfect. It starts, you see a little bit. They talk about Rodgers. They talk about the two rookies. One thing that I did notice today when I rewatched part of it, because I told you, I've watched it a thousand times. They say, you should be high on this team. And as they're saying it, you see Rodgers... And Sauce doing their handshake where they're smoking the joint high on this team. Expectations should be couldn't have been higher or something like that. I loved it. Uh, I don't know if that was on purpose. If it was very subtle, if it was, I loved it. They have Quentin Williams going shout out to A Rod for coming to help us out, and he dies laughing. That's like really the most screen time Quentin got, which is another point we'll talk about a little bit later. But then they show this montage. And it's so over the top and so ridiculous. Joe's Rogers spinning the ball on his hand, on his finger, throwing these dimes. It's slow motion, him getting the snap, him dropping back, him throwing it. The coaching staff, the other players overreacting like, oh my God, like we've never seen anything like this, which also is a great scene. Rogers is walking out for his first day of practice. This is before that point. He's walking out to the field for his first day of practice. He goes to the, he goes to the camera crew. I'm going to give you some good shit today. And as he's walking out to the practice, he turns to Zach Wilson. They start chanting, Aaron Rodgers. Turns to Zach Wilson and the other guy standing around and goes, you guys never seen this before, huh? Never seen this here before. He is, he's still cocky as hell. He's still so self-confident in everything he can do. And he loves it. He loves the cameras. He loves the attention being on him. We know that. But I don't care. This is the guy I loved. This is the guy I loved in Green Bay. He's kind of a dick. What do you want? This is who he is. This is Aaron Rodgers. I want all of it. I don't want this new nice guy. I want Aaron Rodgers. And when they did that over-the-top montage where it starts with Salah going, wow, what a throw. God, what a throw that was. And then they ask, they ask Salah, Aaron Rodgers, what does he mean to this team? And all of a sudden, the music starts playing. Now, they used – a lot of people like that they used Ed Sheeran because he went to the Ed Sheeran concert at MetLife Stadium. But also, I think it's funny that they used kind of a love song. This song is – it should be in a teenage movie where they're showing you the girl that the nerdy guy has a crush on and they're showing her in slow motion, like walking and flipping her hair. And it's like, ooh, I love it when you do it like that. And instead, it's Rogers just zipping these crazy passes in and spinning the ball on his finger and slow motion kind of nodding his head. But you see his camaraderie with the team. You see how everyone's reacting to him. Every single one of these throws is a dime. And he, he goes, when he's like, hold on your asses, guys, here, when he's talking in the huddle, how he commands everything. People are somehow trying to spin that into a negative. It was the most positive thing. I've watched that, and I've posted on my Twitter. I've posted on Instagram. You go follow me, at Rami underscore Lovey, at Rami.Lovey on 
Instagram. Go watch those videos because I posted it a thousand times. Rodgers, I know I keep saying it, the New York Jets have Aaron Rodgers. That video is just, I was cracking up. I'm sitting on the train still trying to catch my breath from running across the whole platform. And I'm sitting there dying. I could, I'm laughing uncontrollably just watching this one scene over and over again with them playing Ed Sheeran and everyone just marveling at Aaron Rodgers' throws. It it was awesome. And then not only that do they have it in in the meet in the uh in that montage, but then in the meeting afterwards, Eldrick, who I talked about, the defensive coordinator for the Jets, he's sitting in the meeting room and he goes, he said something really interesting, guys, guys, look. See that throw? No one else in the world can make that throw. He's running to the left and he throws across his body a back shoulder throw. It was the throw, I think, to the tight end from uh, Rucker from Long Island. And he says, look at that throw. No one else can make that throw. And by the way, guys, said, no matter what happens, if team scores a couple points on us, we're going to be in every game because that's our quarterback. We have that guy. No one else has that guy. Just the hype in the defensive meeting that they're talking about. The, def- the defense is going to be awesome. That's the one thing I can guarantee but another thing everyone talked about is Rodgers cook. Can Rodgers still do it? You watch some of these throws that he can make still. He is not cooked. I don't care that it's in practice. I don't care that it's without pads. I don't care that maybe the defense would have sacked him because the Jets offensive line isn't, good, isn't as good. Those are throws that before there was Patrick Mahomes, there was Aaron Rodgers. These are throws that no one else in the world can make. And at 38 years old, 39 years old, he's still making them. And no one else is. Maybe Mahomes is the only other one in Kansas City who's making them. Other than that, that's it. There's nobody else. He's the most talented quarterback I've ever seen in my lifetime. And he still has it. He is not cooked. And also, another thing they showed in the episode, after they show the defensive side of the ball and the defensive coordinator, the character of the team is awesome. They show Sauce and him getting his graduate degree in, from college and going back to school and everything that meant to him and the way he was brought up. They show Garrett Wilson, Garrett Wilson talking smack on the field. And then when he's off the field, he's this quiet, reserved guy. It's such an interesting dynamic that they have. The two of them, not only are the two of them, by the way, making each other better on the field, but this is something that's so Rogers that they kind of showed a little bit, but they're talking technique with each other. Garrett Wilson shuts down or gets shut down by sauce Gardner, and he says what were you doing there that shut me down i want to know so that if someone tries to do that on me i know how to combat it and then when he beats sauce sauce is like hey what did you do there that i messed up on they're making each other better because they're talking there's that communication you see it on every play with aaron Rodgers and zach wilson and we'll get to zach in a second but there's communication there where rogers saying no well if you do it like this this is going to happen whereas if you do it like this that's going to happen there was a part i think they showed this just a random video that came out. I don't even know if it was from one Jets drive. If it was from HBO, wasn't in the episode where they're sitting around after practice. And Rogers said to Quinn Williams, what was the offensive lineman doing to you? He said, well, he was doing one thing. And so I found it to be really easy to do blank. So Rogers says, so go tell him right now, go talk to him about that. There's communication across the whole team. And it was such a novel idea to Quinn. And he's like, Oh, I, I should tell him, I guess. Right. Cause we're on, we're teammates. We want to make each other better. We want to communicate these things. We want to talk to each other. That's, that's the Rogers effect. That's when Robert Sala says he changes the meeting room. He doesn't just change what he can do on the field. He changes everything. He changes everything about the franchise. So laugh all you want that they made the whole episode about Aaron Rodgers. The elite quarterbacks change everything. Just the mentality that they bring to the table changes everything. You saw it happen in Tampa with Brady. You saw it happen in Denver with Manning. You saw it even happen out in LA with Matthew Stafford. It's happening right now in New York for the Jets. 
and it feels unlikely because it's the same old Jets and people want to say the same things, but it's happening. Deny it or wrap your arms around it. I don't care. Nathaniel Hackett is an awesome offensive coordinator. He's, I see why he's not a great head coach. He's quirky. He's nerdy. He's got the movie quotes. He's funny. He's a little bit weird. He's like Rodgers, but I see why he's a great offensive coordinator. One of the things in quarterback when I was watching that documentary was Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and the players. They collaborate to come up with things to help them remember the plays and help them engrave the plays in their memory, but also make it fun for them, make it interesting. We have input. These movie references, these movie quotes, and the different funny things that they do together are not just so that they have fun. It's so that the plays become special to them. They become personal to the players. And so on the field, in the game, that's how you create that bond. More than just working together or going to on a fishing trip in Lake Tahoe or wherever, that's not how you create the bond. It's the bond that translates onto the field by creating these connections through the place, through the football. And that's such a big part of it. And you see this special connection that Rodgers has with Nathaniel Hackett. You saw with Hackett, it's so funny when, when they're playing that game where they're trying to hit the pylon and part of the game is the, the players or the other contestants will yell something crazy at the guy to try and get him to mess up. So when Hackett's trying to throw the football to hit the pylon, Rodgers yells, Sean Payton. So clearly th- there's a looseness there. There's They're not intense. They're not uptight. They're not. They're calm. They're relaxed. Everyone talks about if Rodgers, if they start two and three and Rodgers tells everyone to relax, that's the worst thing you could do in the New York market and the New York media. Well, you know what's really bad also in the New York market and the New York media? If you start panicking and then you start blowing games because you're panicked and you're not calm. I heard Matt Olson talking about this on part of my take. He was talking about how when you get into the playoffs, some teams tense up and they get really tense. And that's why they stop hitting in the playoffs in baseball. He said the Braves always stayed really loose and fun and had a good time. And that's why they won a World Series. Now, he wasn't there when they won. But the point is, if you tense up and try and change what you do, it's probably a lot of what's happened with the Yankees over the last month where there's such a pressure now for them to perform and win that they're falling apart at the seams in every possible way. This is not going to happen with... Rodgers and Hackett and maybe the New York media and the fans will get frustrated if at the beginning of the season they're struggling and they still look like they're having so much fun but ultimately I think it's the right thing I get why he's not head coach material for that exact reason but it's also what makes him great as an offensive coordinator for this team and for Aaron Rodgers but I'll also tell you this if you think Aaron Rodgers doesn't care You are so dead wrong. In the preseason game where he wasn't playing, they didn't show what play it was in reference to. But he's like, God damn it, you got to fucking be better. Are you fucking kidding me? He's yelling at someone. Who knows what? Was it a missed assignment? Was it the wrong route? Did they not get a playoff in time? Was it a pre-snap penalty? That side of Rodgers, we've seen it a thousand times. He's competitive as hell. He's going to get angry. He's going to get mad. That's okay. Trust me, that's going to happen. So I don't think you need to worry about him being competitive and not... He's having too much fun and he's telling people to relax. Don't worry about Aaron Rodgers. He's going to be fine. But he's still saying all the right things in the media. When Zach Wilson throws the bomb and he's like, oh, that's all Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is like, no, he didn't even hear me. I was just yelling, throw deep. And speaking of Zach Wilson, like, is there any chance that this kid can actually be salvaged? I don't know if he can. He's got all the raw talent in the world. And then you have to worry about, do you have to give him a second contract if Rodgers is here for two or three years? What happens? I'm not even going to talk about that because that's like the dream scenario that this works out with Rodgers and then Zach's actually a decent quarterback. 
But if there's any hope for this kid, it's because of Rodgers. The way he's teaching him. He's like, look, no, if you're athletic enough to get away from the pressure, if you wait for your fourth, if you're for your fourth step, there's no way you have enough time for that. Teaching him things that Zach Wilson was never taught before, clearly. And also, you're talking about a kid. You're talking about a kid who had to stand in front of the media and answer these tough questions from the New York reporters. Now he doesn't have to do any of that. Rodgers does all of that. Rodgers is the number one. You see him more relaxed. You see him have some more personality. You saw with the short sleeves and him making fun of Aaron Rodgers, kind of talking smack to him. Oh, the guy in front of me has nothing to show, so I'll show it off. And then he throws the bomb downfield, and he goes, wow, that was a dot as he's running upfield. When, since when is Zach Wilson like that? We never saw that side of him. We never saw the fun, playful side of Zach Wilson, the confidence in Zach Wilson. So laugh all you want when you say Aaron Rodgers is changing everything. He's changing everything. And if Zach Wilson has a chance to salvage his career, it's going to be because Aaron Rodgers is there teaching him and guiding him. It's just, it's crazy. He, but it's not just the offense. It's not just Zach Wilson. One of my favorite parts is the beginning of the Hall of Fame game. Aaron Rodgers and Sauce Gardner are on the field and Revis comes over to them. And Revis introduces himself to Sauce and he says hi to Rodgers. And Rodgers kind of gives a side-eye look at Sauce and like nods towards Revis. Like, that's who you can be. You can be that guy. That guy's the greatest I've ever seen. You can be him. You can be special. And it was kind of almost like a nod to... And he says it afterwards. He says, look, you're going to be here one day. I'm going to be real old and gray, but you're going to be here one day. That whole interaction, they're not just fun and they do the weed thing and it's funny and cute. They have a real relationship. There's something there. They have a real friendship. One thing that jumped out to me and maybe I don't know why, but Sauce is standing there. He's holding his phone and Roger's like 40 years old. So he doesn't have his phone on him. He doesn't have the need. Sauce is such a millennial. It just, I don't know why that in particular jumped out to me. It was just an interesting thought that I had while I was watching it. And there's so many things with that relationship, the Rogers nod and the sauce and Rogers, like the character on this team. Like I talked about, think about Quincy and sauce and, and Garrett Wilson, Quinn and Williams. There was such a funny line that these guys, the, the defensive line was standing around together and they're talking about, no, I want to be more classy. Right. I, I don't want to be like, like, I, I want to be classy. I have all this money now. So this guy's like, I want to go to Broadway shows and have Carcucci boards. Like, they didn't grow up with things like this. They don't have, like, this mindset. Like, of they, there's just such a character. And you credit Joe Douglas, really, who, for putting together this character on this team. That's another thing. So I mentioned Quinn Williams. There's no Quinn Williams drama. It's just he's here. Maybe they'll get into that in later episodes with the contract. But he never held out. It never got to that point. And to me, the hero in all of this is Joe Douglas, and he's not mentioned at all. He's not even in it. There's actually one second that Salah's talking to him, and you it cuts off before Douglas's response back. So I don't know if they're saving it. Maybe the Jets don't want Douglas in it. I don't know what it is. But Joe Douglas is majorly responsible for what's going on here. He built this team, and he's not in it at all? That's weird. I don't know. So that's something to monitor. Um, it does seem like the owner, Woody Johnson, is overly involved. He's very there, and I don't like that at all. But at the same time, I think if Woody Johnson was too involved, they would have already signed Dalvin Cook, which we'll get to in a, in a couple minutes. But really, there was no drama at all. Like a lot of times you talk about the 
Hard Knocks episode, they introduce you to a kid who you fall in love with, and then they cut him. We already know they're not showing the cuts. So I said, where are they going to get the drama from? They didn't really get the drama from anywhere. So they lost a preseason game, the Hall of Fame game. That was the only drama. Guess what? They came out the next week, and they wiped the floor with Carolina. So good luck finding the drama for this week. I guess the offensive line will be the drama this week, which we'll get to also in a second. But I think it was such a different style than any past Hard Knocks I've watched. Leah Schreiber, who's the narrator, doing the third person, saying, Damn, I should have really ironed my shirt. Really, I could have driven in, but they wanted me to use a helicopter because it's more dramatic. Like that whole thing, they would have never done that. Breaking the fourth wall or the third wall. I don't even know what it's called. On other Hard Knocks episodes. So it was just so interesting. Such a more fun, light episode. And when he was there, Leo Schreiber talking to Rogers. Rogers says to him, he's like, yeah, there's so much hype. It's so exciting. Everyone's so excited. And this is what I love from Rogers. said, we haven't played any games yet. Let's, let's wait. Let's hold off. So with all the hype and all the positivity and everyone's saying, oh, the Jets think they already won a Super Bowl. No, they didn't. They know. They know they ain't done nothing yet. And Rodgers knows it. And Rodgers still has to prove it. He knows exactly what he's doing. Is he having fun? Is he getting along with these guys? Is he enjoying the attention and the media? Of course he is. But he knows they haven't done anything yet and he's going to work till they do. The offensive line is going to be an issue, I'm sure. They need to work on that. But there's also a sense of accountability. It's not just, oh, we have Aaron Rodgers, so now everything is solved. When the defense loses, they do push-ups. When the offense loses, they do push-ups. I wasn't sure there was accountability with Salah because he loves his guys so much. Because he stands up for his guys so much. But no, he holds them accountable too. He wants them to push themselves to do more. He leads by example. It's a different style. It's not a yelling at you. But he also holds you accountable to a certain standard. So the offensive line, they definitely need to work on something, whether it's a trade, whether it's a signing, whether it's moving Elijah Vera Tucker over to, to tackle, moving him outside. Maybe, maybe you can, but he's your best offensive lineman. They said that the rookie who plays center looked good in the second game, Tipman. I don't know what the deal with Makai Becton is. He's looked good, but does he trust himself? Is he going to stay healthy? There's a lot of questions about the offensive line, but you know what makes the offensive line better? Aaron Rodgers, who's smart, who knows to get rid of the ball quickly. Nathaniel Hackett is going to be running plays for Nicole Hardman to offset the rush for the running backs that are really good. And guess what? I think the offense is going to be on the field more than anyone because that defense and that defensive front against Carolina is insane. These weren't even the starters. This were like the third and fourth string guys. The Jets defensive line is so deep. Jermaine Johnson and McDonald and Huff, what they did in that game, they absolutely wrecked the game. And that's without guys like Quinnen and without guys like the other defensive linemen that are going to be wrecking this game. John Franklin Myers, um, Carl Lawson, all these guys. And one thing about defensive line is having waves of guys is the most important part because you need guys to be fresh at the end of the game when the offensive line is already worn down. And if 60 minutes in, the guy, the Jets still have guys that are fresh and attacking and aggressive, this defensive line could be scary. And to go along with the secondary, that that's, that's that good? I mean, just DJ and Sauce alone? I don't know. This team's going to be really, really good. You know the defense is going to be good. Maybe I'm overhyped. I don't know. I will say this. I 
I don't want Dalvin Cook. I'll say it. I don't think he's good enough. Um, I think he fell off last year a little bit. I don't think it's worth signing a guy at a position that you don't really desperately need it. You can survive with Izzy Abadakanya or whatever his name is, the guy they drafted this year. You can survive with Michael Carter and Bam Knight, who's been the best running back in camp so far for the Jets. And slowly bring back a guy who would have been rookie of the year last year and one of the best players in the league in Brees Hall once he's healthy. I'm okay with that. And I think part of Dalvin not being signed yet shows you that Douglas is running the show. I'm not just throwing money at a running back because he was a superstar a couple of years ago. I'm going to be smart. I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to try and build this team. I, I just love everything. I love the direction this is going in. Um, if I could tell you that I'm nervous, of course I'm nervous because I'm a Jets fan. That's how it always is. We always think the worst is going to happen. And you know what happened? When I looked further into the Rodgers contract about him taking less money, I saw that it's less money, yes, a lot less money, but there's more guaranteed money this year than there would have been in the former way the contract was set up. Which means that in my head, immediately I thought, oh my God, if it's a disaster this year, he could just walk out after this year and make more than he would have made if it was a disaster in year one in the way the old contract was constructed. That's where my mind went because automatically I'm going to think negative because I'm a Jets fan. (laughs) That's just how it is. I don't know. Maybe I'm jaded too much maybe i shouldn't put this stuff on the podcast i'm probably going to i'm going to talk about the podcast honestly and talk about what it's like but everything is so positive it's hard to find the negatives i'm not going to go searching for them and hopefully i just hope i really do hope that they live up to this hype I'm not expecting them to win a Super Bowl this year, but just get to the playoffs. That would be a huge improvement. That hasn't been done since I'm in middle school. And I'm going to enjoy the ride until the wheels fall off. And if the wheels fall off eventually, well, so be it. But I'm not going to deny myself enjoying it right now, and I'm enjoying every second of it. All right, let's talk Orioles. Let's talk baseball. Let's talk Barstool Sports. Barstool Sports. We'll talk about all that in a second. So something that's cool about being in the WFN newsroom is that when news breaks, when things happen, it's it's the buzz. It's what everyone's talking about. So when Tommy Lugauer runs out of the studio and I'm talking to the head of digital, who is Tommy Izzo and Tommy Lugauer, who's the producer, executive producer of Tiki and Evan in the afternoon, he runs out of the studio and says, Barstool's back, baby. We didn't know what he was talking about. And he pulled out his phone and we watched it all together. Dave Portnoy's emergency press conference. They bought Barstool back. But these news stories, when they happen, when they break, you feel like you're a part of something. You feel like now it's the buzz. Now it's what everyone's talking about. Now let's get it out there to the world. It's so interesting when your life is the media and everyone there's life is the media and is the hype. And so when that story happened, we're talking about the ramifications. The number one thing, I think, like, Dave's going to be back in New York. Definitely a lot more than he was. 
And that changes the entire dynamic of the Barstool sports of everything. Because Dave Portnoy is the one who built it and made it what it is. And with part of my take leaving and everyone going to Chicago, it changes. But now he's back. The first blog he writes writes since he gets back is how much his employees are idiots. And it's old school Barstool. And it's not having to feel like they need to conform to any of these rules or fit gambling or any of that stuff. So that's the first thing I thought of. Barstool's back, baby. And also, I have Penn Stock because Dave told everyone to buy Penn Stock. And Penn Stock is going to shoot through the roof when ESPN, which is taking a major pivot, is now going all in on gambling because they probably realized that live rights, and it makes perfect sense. I talked about it. They had to. Why would they be spending all this money on Pat McAfee if they weren't going to go the gambling angle? This is a guy who was coming from FanDuel TV. It only made sense. So... They're going to continue that down that road. Make sports about gambling. Can you imagine if Mike Breen and these guys can actually discuss the spread during a game? Like, it's so interesting how it's become so intertwined. But at the end of a football game, if you know the over-under, what the point total was, what the spread was before the game, it's not just about, okay, this is a meaningless touchdown at the end of a blowout. This is changing lives for people. And now ESPN can actually acknowledge that as opposed to having Boomer kind of talk around it the way he always did on some of his highlight shows on uh, football night or whatever the heck it was called when he did the football highlights, which is awesome. That was super fun. But now it's it's there. And ESPN knows that they have to own it. They can't run from it. They can't hide from it anymore. And they're going full steam ahead, full-fledged right into it. And it's the right move. And Barstool, it's the pirate ship, baby. It's all the way back. I hope. I hope it's all the way back. The other media news came out of Baltimore. And when I first read the story, I read the story on Awful Announcing. They broke the story. And then the story was written in The Athletic by Britt Giroli. I I can't pronounce her last name. I'm sorry. But Britt Giroli. I'm pretty sure it's G-H-I-R-O-L-L-I. And... The story basically went like this. Kevin Brown, a guy who I've met. I can't say I'm friends with him. I've talked to him. I've messaged him, texted him back and forth a few times. We're not close in any way. We've met a couple of times. He's always been super nice to me as someone trying to come up in the media industry and working in Baltimore media and Baltimore sports. So really good person from the limited. And again, I can't express this enough. Limited interaction I've had with him. He's been awesome. So that's that on Kevin Brown. But he did a pre-produced segment. He read a stat that the Orioles hadn't won a series in, I think, 17 consecutive series in Tampa Bay or 18. I think they were 0-17-1. And Tampa was had been just a city of horrors for the Orioles to play in the last bunch of years. And this year, they had a chance to actually sweep in Tampa the season series, which is amazing. Now... He said this, and then he disappeared from the air for a while, and nobody knew why, and it came out it was because the owner of, let's just for this sake of this conversation, call it Masson, which is the network that the Orioles and Nationals play on. It's a Baltimore sports network, but the owner of Masson, who also owns the Baltimore baseball team, which their mascot is an orange bird that starts with an O, Hope I'm being clear enough. The owner, John Angelos, was very insulted 
you can't say anything negative about my team. He was very upset. And he suspended one of the best young broadcasters in the league. Now, I told you that I have somewhat of a personal relationship with him. Most of our conversations went like this. Dude, you are so good. Your cadence, you remind me of Joe Buck, which is the biggest compliment. You're so talented. I've said that to him actually multiple times. And I mean it when I say it. I've met him upstairs in that press area. I've texted him. He is so good. He is such a talented broadcaster. And if you close your eyes and watch on TV... Sometimes you think it is Joe Buck. It's funny when you see him because he looks so young. He is a very young looking guy. He almost has a funny face. Like he's smirking like he's about to, like he thought of a funny joke and he's about to say it, but he's holding it in. And apparently he does have a great sense of humor. And that's kind of how he is. He's kind of very witty, like always thinking kind of, that is kind of the smirk he has. But then you hear him and he has this powerful, just great voice and his cadence and delivery is perfect. And he's a really, really good broadcaster. And this guy, John Angelos, got so upset over saying that this Orioles team has exceeded all expectations, that they've done something that they haven't done in God knows how many years, in 18 series. That's what he got upset about, and he suspended him? It's absolutely absurd. It's insane. It's petty. And when I saw the story immediately, I was like, this is a huge story. And I saw it, and I looked at Zach Gelb because he was next to me. He hosts 6 to 10 p.m. on the national show on uh, CBS Sports Network on the radio. And I said, this is a huge story. Do you see this story? And we started talking about it. Like, this is a crazy story. And I'm talking to the producers. I'm like, this is crazy. This is going to be huge. This is all anyone's going to talk about this evening, this afternoon. Everyone has to talk about this. This is, I start tweeting away. Now, I do have an interesting perspective because I was in Baltimore, because I work for Major League Baseball. When I watched the video that came out, which Awful Announcing did put out, it was a pre-produced segment. There were graphics on the screen. There was music in the background. It was an open to the broadcast. One thing I learned this year that opens to these broadcasts are seldom done live. They're usually pre-recorded segments, pre-recorded spots that they start recording about 15 minutes before they go on air. And I remember one in particular with Jeff Francoeur where he couldn't stop laughing and he messed up the stat a couple of times. And so they had to do it a few times. If this wasn't approved by every single producer in the truck, at the stadium, in the booth, executive producer, everyone who put this segment together, this pre-planned, pre-produced segment for Kevin Brown to read, if this wasn't approved and the way he said it wasn't approved by all of them, they would have done it again or scrapped it completely. So the idea that Kevin Brown is taking the fall for all this was ridiculous. That was the first thing I wrote. That was the first thing I noticed that Michael Kay actually made the same exact point on his radio show. Michael Kay, a Yankee broadcaster who has had to be critical this year. I then worked the game with John and Susan that night. I produced the Yankee game. And John Sterling said, "Uh, Susan, if that was our boss, we'd be fired every night. Gary Cohen pointed into the camera and said, you should be ashamed of yourselves, Baltimore Orioles. A story like the Baltimore Orioles, who have been the best team in the league this year and the most fun, young, exciting team in the league, is being taken down by their owner acting like a buffoon and it coming out publicly. And not only that, it's shedding light on things that he's done in the past. So when I worked at the fan in Baltimore, when I worked at the fan down in Maryland, 105.7 The Fan. In 2021, we had the rights to the Orioles. And we got into fights over it with the Orioles. 
because if we mentioned standings, if we talked about the team in a manner in which they didn't like, they'd call the radio station. They owned not only the content of the Orioles, but they thought they owned the station because we had this deal with them to the point where eventually we couldn't even sell Orioles spots enough. When I work the Yankee games, it's essentially a long PSA. Yes, we have the Yankees on the radio. But every word that John or Susan or Justin say is sponsored. The third time I said ball today is sponsored by blah, 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 blah. Every single thing. And it has to be that way. That's how they make their money. That's how they make up for it. That's how you get tons of advertising out of it. The Orioles weren't good enough to sell. I had a client that I would sell. I was in sales. I would sell him a Ravens package every year. And he didn't want to touch the Orioles with a 10-foot pole. This was a guy who was spending a ton of money with the Ravens. Wouldn't want to touch the Orioles. So we couldn't sell the Orioles. And not only could we not sell the Orioles, but they're now going to come in and control what we can and can't say on our radio stations. That's not okay. They can't control what we're going to say. And so going into the 22 season, very close to the season, we dropped the Orioles. We decided we're going to have our independent broadcast. We'll do baseball tonight in Baltimore before each and every game, a pregame show for the Orioles game. And we'll talk about the Orioles however we want, whenever we want. And you can't control us. Now on the radio station, there was Rob Long, who works for Masson. And then Jason Lockenfora, who ultimately got a job with Masson. There was also Jerry Coleman, who has hated the Orioles. He had a certain vendetta, just some sort of gripe with the Orioles. But there were more than one person like that. Mike Bordick, who did the pregame, our pregame show, had a bone to pick with the Orioles and John Angelos. Jim Hunter had a bone to pick with the Orioles and John Angelos. This doesn't happen by accident that all your former players have a disdain for your franchise. In fact, Jerry Coleman started a podcast with Adam Jones, who they didn't even know each other. The only reason they bonded, the only bond they had was they both both hated the Orioles so much. Now, Adam Jones has repaired his relationship with the team this year. This was a guy who was your best player, who was the face of your franchise for 15 years, and you have such an awful relationship with him. You ran the greatest broadcaster in baseball today, if one of them, if not the greatest, in John Miller, who's now broadcasting for San Francisco. You ran him out of town 20 years ago for saying something negative about the team. You ran Gary Thorne out of town a couple of years ago. How many broadcasters are going to do this with? You're going to keep getting these great broadcasters and running them completely out of town? Look, Kevin Brown doesn't have a point, or doesn't have a choice, I should say. There's only 30 of these jobs. He can't turn this job down. But he's really good. And this is not the first time. When I worked on the radio in Baltimore earlier this year, We already didn't have the rights, but there was a conversation that happened. It was an interview that happened with John Angelos. They asked him about opening up his books and showing. He said, I'm going to open the books. I'm going to show you. Why are you one of the least spent? You have money. Why are you one of the least spending teams in the league? Oh, you don't know what's happening. I'll open up the books. I'll show you. It never happened. You know, the Orioles don't have a lease with the city right now. The city is furious with the Baltimore Orioles. Because the Angeloses won't sign the lease, a long-term lease, to stay in Baltimore. And when they asked John Angelos about it, he said, it's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Do you really think that's appropriate to ask on a day like today? Yes, I do think it's appropriate to ask a question of why are you going to take jobs away from a predominantly black inner city community by 
leaving the Orioles, by bringing, taking the Orioles out of town or taking the Orioles out of downtown or whatever ends up happening because you're not signing this lease and you're dilly-dallying. He said the lease will be signed by the end of spring training. It wasn't. By the opening day, it wasn't. By the All-Star game, well, guess what? It wasn't. It's still not signed. So all these things that were going on behind the scenes when the Orioles were a poverty franchise that was bad, no one cared about. But Britt Giroli actually came on the show, talked to Rob Long, who works for Masson, who said, no, I'm going to stay here because I, I, Masson doesn't hold me back. Masson lets me say whatever I want. And then he proceeded to defend Masson at every single turn. So they let me say what I want. But then defeated, to, and she went at him. She was awesome. She went on the morning show in Baltimore with a guy who works for the team and said, if this team was still bad, all this would go under the rug and no one would care because it's one thing after another after another. It's basically the Oakland Athletics. But because they're good, because you actually got lucky that you brought in the right guy in Michael Elias who built the Houston Astro World Championship team, who built the St. Louis Cardinal World Series Championship team. And now he's doing the same for you. But I actually, it was so funny because last weekend before this story came out, I was talking to a friend. I was in Baltimore for the weekend and I was at my parents' house and I was talking to a friend who's an Orioles fan. I said, I don't trust that John Angelos will get it right. Because the one thing in Houston, they understood the assignment. Okay, we have to give them the big money to X guy. So we'll pay Altuve and Bregman long-term and they'll be our cornerstones. We'll bring in pitching and pay two-star pitchers to build up the rest of the roster. But the rest of it was homegrown. Do I trust that the Orioles are going to be able to figure out a deal to keep Adley Rushman, to keep Gunnar Henderson, to keep these guys? No. They'll stay bad forever because of this owner. And now the entire sports world, instead of them being the positive story of the year in sports and all anyone wants to talk about in positive light, they turn themselves into one of the most negative stories and all anyone can say is bad things about them. And I saw a guy who I respect or I at least respected as a host on the radio. He does an evening radio show and it happens to be he does... Once he does weekends and he does once a week on the fan, one evening a week. And the rest of the time he does like a YouTube show on his own YouTube channel in the morning. And I saw he tweeted out, I'm not going to speak on this until I get the full story from both sides and see there's got to be more than this. There was no Oriole game that night. I think it was on Monday night, actually. You are the only story in town. It's this. This is the only story right now. You're the biggest story and you're in the market and you're not going to talk about it because you're scared you don't have the details, quote unquote. Or maybe are you just scared to say something that might ruin your relationship with the Orioles, whatever standing you have with them. But tomorrow on your YouTube show with 12 listeners, you're willing to say it. But you're not willing to say it here on the radio station where you know people are listening and you know it's the biggest topic and you know probably someone who's listening will get it back to the Angeloses. It was so frustrating to watch it. I texted that producer of the show. I said, please tell me you actually talked about it. And he said, I didn't work last night. I don't know. But of course it should have been talked about. The producer agreed with me. It's this, there's this fear with, amongst the media there that surrounds the Angeloses. They asked Rob Long, they said, maybe you want to leave the studio while we do this segment with Brit so that you don't have to bash the Orioles. They said, no, I can be objective. Don't worry. The Orioles let me speak my mind. And he proceeded to not be objective at all. To say, you know, there's got to be more to it because I've said negative things in the past. It's just everything about it was poverty franchise Everything about it was 
proving and showing that this team, as much as you change, they'll stay the same. They're the same freaking franchise. They're the same team. Nothing's going to ever change. They're never going to get better. And why would you trust that they'd be able to maintain a good product and quality product on the field? Who, which players are going to want to come here and play for this guy with everything that's coming out now? So that's a story. I, I don't, there's not much else to say about it other than when he came back, they eventually had to bring him back. He read like this hostage read that he read on air and he tweeted out. There's no coming back from it because you exposed yourself and you exposed all those negative things, the laundry list of things that I just talked about. The other hosts on the fan talking about how they used to get called into Tracy's office whenever they'd say anything remotely controversial about the Orioles. Tracy is the big boss down in Baltimore. And when I saw this story, it frustrated me because nothing irks me more than inauthenticity. Nothing irks me more than being fake or just not saying it the way it is. That, that drives me insane if you know me. And this story just drove me up a wall. And just being close to it and knowing so many of the parties involved and just seeing that and seeing how it has national legs and attention. I loved what every broadcaster in baseball said. They weren't afraid. They went right at him. They went right at the Orioles. They went right at the league. That's the right thing to do. It's a funny thing, my, my friend who's the producer in Baltimore who I talked to, he sent me a, t- uh, a Reddit thread where this guy said, hey, I just moved from Oakland to Maryland. I'm so, fe- I'm so fed up with the A's management. I think I'm ready for a new baseball team now that I moved to Baltimore. Tell me what I need to know about being an Orioles fan. And the, f- the most liked or reshared response was, don't give away your sell the team John shirt. Because this John needs to sell the team too, was the point. And until he does, I don't trust that this franchise will turn it around. I just don't. Um, that's all. That's the podcast. So we talked about my Jets. I got fired up about that in one sense. I got fired up about this. I like to have fun on these shows. Like I think when I'm playing off someone, I could make some jokes. Maybe that'll come later. I also think that because of a 40-minute 40 epi- 40 episode, there's no time to really just start going crazy and talking to myself and making jokes and stuff. But um, when you listen to me on the radio, it's a, it's a different style that I like to do. So hopefully I'll get some airtime on the fan. I'll keep you all posted on that. We'll see what kind of co-host, if there is a co-host, but we're working on that with the podcast for the Jets. It's probably going to be called, all right, I'll say it, In-Flight Snack, referencing the greatest Jets team of, of my lifetime in the era of Rex Ryan and let's go eat a goddamn snack, that whole thing. Um, until next time, I appreciate all you listening. Thank you so much. Until then, have a wonderful rest of your week. Look out for more content on this page on the In-Flight Snack podcast, which is going to be coming to the Believe Podcast Network very soon. Until then, peace. You were the best nights of my life. You Got the light that always shines I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that
that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, why you say is it all, oh, oh Always on my road, I'm still New York You're the only, oh, 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 now I'll never know, oh, oh My concrete walls, I'm still New York Drive down Riverside, see the birds flying on the high line. With the sidewalks burning, we pray for rain in July. I want the Yankees '99, yeah. and the Knicks on a sold out night. When the curtains close and the Broadway streets are alive. Hey. I need your heartbeat close, don't you ever leave me? And I breathe your air when I land in another city.